All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Good morning. We are into week four of this five-week series called On Purpose, where we've been talking about this reality that every single one of us, Ephesians 2.10 tells us, created as his masterpiece, created on purpose to live with purpose. That's what's true about us and about our lives. This morning, I want to talk to you about surrender. And surrender is not a popular topic in our world. It's certainly not a popular topic in our country, right? This country was not built on surrender. I can say that as a Brit, right? We also were not built on surrender. We didn't surrender. We're just taking a break, all right? We went home to get some, you threw all our tea in the Boston Harbor. We had to go home and get some more, which is where iced tea was invented, by the way. Well done. But we don't like surrender. Why? Because we associate surrender with quitting and giving up. We associate surrender with the end of freedom. But the scriptures teach us that surrender is not the end of freedom. It is the beginning of freedom. Surrender is not the end of life. It is the beginning of life. And so last week, as we looked at talents and heart, we asked the question, what have you buried? This week in surrender, we're flipping the question and asking the question, what will you bury? You see, as we pursue lives of purpose, the reality is we buried the wrong things. We buried our talents when God's call is to bury our control. We buried our hearts when God's call is to bury our false sense of identity and security. And so the reality is there are things that you and I are called to bury, are called to surrender. And this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like rather than submitting to the voice of fear, to surrender to the voice of God. And this morning, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. That's our text for this morning. You see, there's a lot of places in Scripture where, where we can go to see surrender through words. But in Joshua chapter 1, we see surrender through action. So Joshua chapter 1, and reading from verse 1, it says this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north. From the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He told them, remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God is giving you a place of rest. He has given you this land. Your wives, children, and livestock may remain here in the land of Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has given you rest, and until they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. Only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us. We will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. May the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. You see, we meet Joshua on the threshold of stepping into the promise of God. And maybe this morning you find yourself on a similar threshold. That the purpose and the promise of God is right there. And maybe you feel like Joshua and the people that you've been wandering in fear and confusion for 40 years. And God says, Joshua, it's time. In this story in Joshua, we see some of the context of what it looks like to be a person of surrender. I want to first draw out four lessons from the story that give us context about the challenges that might have been going on internally for Joshua that also might be going on internally for us. Lesson number one is this, it's hard to be great, it's even harder to follow greatness. Maybe you find yourself being called to step into something and you find yourself stuck by this reality that you're stepping into shoes that feel too big or too great for you. On June 14th, 1998, Michael Jordan played his last game for the Chicago Bulls. We all know the name Michael Jordan, right? But I bet no one could tell me the name of the starting shooting guard for the Chicago Bulls the following year. And if you could, don't tell me, it'll ruin the point, right? But, but there's this reality that we know the name of greatness. It is so difficult, so challenging to follow greatness. And so God begins this conversation with Joshua by saying, Moses, my servant is dead. I bet this phrase had been churning around and around in his head and in his heart thousands of times, but God said it to draw a line in the sand to say, Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. I'm having the conversation with you now. And church, some of us have to acknowledge this morning that the things that have died, dreams, expectations, relationships, and we have to confront, confront and come face to face with this reality that it's time for us to be face-to-face with him. Lesson number two is this. His promises don't die when the leader dies. It's as if God is saying, Moses is dead, but I am not dead. Moses is dead, but my promises are not dead. We can get so tied to the promises being held by a personality that we miss the power of the promises themselves. That God's promises to us are through this lens of a covenant relationship that is not hinged upon one person or one decision. 
that it is a promise that transcends the life of Moses. And for us this morning, maybe we're stuck in this reality that we feel like the promises were made so long ago that to step into them feels foolish or misguided. But his promises didn't die when Moses died. Lesson three is this, we cannot live off the momentum of those who have gone before us. God says to Joshua in chapter one, verse eight, he says, study this book continually, meditate on it day and night so that you will obey my instruction. See, it could be so easy to fall into this temptation of just reminding the people what Moses said, reminding the people what Moses did, how he spoke, how he led. But the kingdom is grabbed by those who will have a daily encounter with him. He doesn't say, give us this day our monthly bread. Give us this day our annual bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That there is a a, uh, reality in the kingdom that we cannot, not only can we not live off the momentum of someone else, we cannot live off the momentum of ourselves from the day before. We can't live off of David from Saturday or David from Friday. We have to live off the reality and the encounter of a day-to-day relationship with him. And lastly, this lesson, it takes strength and courage to step into purpose and promise. See, God says three times in four verses, be strong and courageous. He isn't a God who tends to waste his words. He was surely speaking to a leader who was feeling anxious and afraid and dismayed. And God says three times, be strong and courageous. Why? Because to be a people who step into purpose and step into promise, it will require more courage than you have ever mustered in your life. It takes strength and courage to step into the fullness and the promises of God. The reality is, church, that we find this people, 40 years they've wandered in the desert, and finally God confronts and says, it's time to step into the promises. And maybe you've experienced 40 years of your life just on the threshold of something great. And God says, child, it's time to be strong and courageous and to step into all that I have promised you. Here's the reality. Is that the call of surrender is often found in the context of fear. If you are feeling fear this morning in any arena of life, it is a clue that he is calling you to live a life of surrender. If you're not feeling any fear, I would challenge you that you're not being courageous enough. Because fear is always found at this threshold. It's this invitation for us to step into something more and to surrender our lives to him. And too many of us have played it safe. We've got too comfortable wandering through the desert and what we know. And Joshua turns to the people in response to the call of God and says, in three days, we will step into what? To possess the land he's given us. Their territory, their land was waiting for them and they needed needed strength and courage to step into what he had given them. And church, I don't know what territory he's given you. But if you stood outside of the territory he's given you, then the voice of fear is controlling you versus the voice of God. And Joshua is making a decision in this moment that he will not submit to the voice of fear. He will surrender to the voice of God. 
You see, fear is this powerful voice. Fear is this great nemesis in our stories. I used to think I would be able one day to live a life with no fear. In my life, I haven't found that to be true. That each invitation into more courage creates a different voice, a different expression of fear. And fear is this subtle, manipulative, controlling voice, right? Fear cha- I like to say fear changes exclamation marks into question marks. It changes you're a leader into you're a leader. It changes the tone from who are you to who do you think you are. Fear changes decisiveness into doubt. It changes conviction into cowering. Fear is this voice that chirps away in our heads and in our hearts. And it causes us to stay in the status quo of where we've been. Instead of stepping into the territory that he has for us. The land that he has given us to possess. And this church is where I want to talk about surrender. Because you see, surrender has a response to fear. Surrender doesn't mock fear, doesn't laugh at fear. Surrender is a portal to freedom. It is a doorway through fear into the territory that he has for you. In 2010, Joelle and my wife and I, we'd been dating for three months. And we went on a church trip. We were driving, just the two of us together, and we were driving up to Breckenridge. And we stopped in Frisco to get some uh, gloves, I think, because I had flown in from the East Coast. And we needed to get some gloves for the, for the call in Breckenridge. And we stopped in Frisco, grabbed something, came back to the car. Car was locked. And it was really fun. We saw our keys just sat there inside the car, just nice and warm and that. And, so, and, and you can tell that we'd only been dating three months because if we'd been married 10 years, that would have been a good cause for like whose fault it was, whose argument. But when you're dating three months, you're like, hey, let's just make out more. It's fine. It's going to be fine. It's fine. It's, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. God's trying to teach us something. This is all great. You know, you're, you're all that. You're so, we're so forgiving. And I'm like, you know, you see a young couple, you're like, come on, you know, who locked the keys in the car? Just tell us. That's what you're all wondering. I know. But we see the, the keys in the car, so I go to the hardware store, it was just across the street, and got a Slim Jim, right, as if I know what to do with this thing. And I come back and I start putting the Slim Jim in. I kid you not, within a moment or two, this is a true story, we start hearing police sirens. Okay, and I'm doing this, I hear police sirens, and we look out to, to the, the highway there, and I see three to four police cars coming in. I think this is all a little dramatic, folks, but here we are. And so I'm doing this. Now, I'm not at this point a U.S. citizen, so I can't muddy my record. So I slowly pull the Slim Jim out and gently hand it to my wife and, uh, and, just, and just sort of step back and start pointing like this. But the police cars come in and we're thinking, oh boy, here we go. But the police cars turn the corner, shoot right past our car and go about 50 yards down and there's a bank right there, right? There was an attempted bank robbery going on right? I'm trying to steal my car. There's a bank robbery going on. There's all, Frisco is filled with crime at this moment in time, right? And, and there's an attempted bank robbery going on. And just a few minutes later, we're sort of watching on. Um, and out comes a guy with his hands above his head. And he's got guns pointing at him. And soon enough, then he's forced to sit against the wall with all these guns pointing, right? That's the picture we have of surrender. Now, I have the opportunist. I approached one of the policemen and asked him to help us break into our own car, and he so did. So it was a, there was a, it was a gift. Good things come, you know, in those moments. But that is the picture that we have of surrender, right? The picture of surrender that we have in our mind is surrender is the end of freedom. Surrender is the end of life. But church, what if there's a different way to surrender? 
See, I would submit this to you, that the kingdom of God is the only kingdom in the universe that advances through surrender. Every other kingdom ends at the point of surrender. The kingdom of God begins at the point of surrender. And so if you and I want to be people who advance the kingdom of God in the world around us, we must be a people who learn to wave the white flag towards him and say, God, I'm no longer in control. You're in control. That the kingdom advances through surrender. And church, we understand why we resist surrender, right? It's scary to give up control. I was going to say it's scary to give away the car keys, but they're still locked in the car. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard to live a life of surrender. Why? Because we're so afraid of the death that comes with surrender. That's what this tank is. That's what it's a picture of. It's a picture of somebody saying, I, I've done things my way. And I've been wandering through the desert 40 years because of it. My way isn't working. I want to stop listening and submitting to the voice of fear, and I want to start surrendering to the voice of God, that He is calling me to possess the territory that He has given me. Church, here's what's also true about surrender, is that if you will take care of the death, He will take care of the resurrection. But He will never force the death. He will never force the surrender. That's your choice. But when Jesus, after three days, rose from the grave and the stone was rolled away, what it told us is this, is that in the kingdom of God, the things of God cannot remain buried. The people of God cannot remain buried. And, and we spend so much time fixated on burying our heart and our talents that we forget that we are called to bury something, to bury our control, to bury our sense of false identity, our false security. And if we will bury those things, then we allow the God who resurrects things to rebirth and reform and recreate something that could never be created unless you and I let go of our control. He will not force the death. But if you will submit to the death, he will promise the resurrection that something fresh will be created. I realize I've gone way off track on my slides here. Thanks, Thatcher. I want to talk for a moment about where this falls in to the journey to live life's purpose. I mentioned Pete Richardson last week, and he's my boss. He, he owns this company called the Patterson Center, and over the last 20 years, he's guided 1,000 people through this two-day life plan process, right? helping people discover and live out their unique creative purpose. In 2006, he'd guided 600 people through this point, and he sat alone in a cafe in Kansas City, and he sketches out this thing called the journey to live life's purpose. He's seen what it looks like for you and I, people of God, to try and pursue our life of purpose and the, the stages of the journey that we, we run into. Phase one of the journey is awakening and awareness. It's this time where we start to awaken and become aware of the bigger questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my unique purpose in life? From that phase of, of awakening and aware, we're moved into search and discovery where we begin to search out answers through prayer, through mental, through questions, through books. But from search and discovery, then we come into this phase, the surrender and own phase. Surrender is letting go of the things I cannot control and taking hold of the things I must control. Taking hold of the territory he has given me to possess. 
Phase four, filtering and focusing, is about this reality that as we discover the unique clarity of our lives, we can get so distracted by all of the opportunities and distractions and challenges of life that we need to learn how to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And then phase five is about adapting and renewing that the seasons of life change, the circumstances change, finances change, but we must be people who then adapt and renew and go back into another season of awakening and awareness. This isn't a linear journey where we arrive at a place of discovery. This is a journey where we will be constantly pursuing God's purpose in each season of life. But church, the reality of this phase, surrender and owning, is this reality, is that it is possible to discover your purpose and talents and heart and never ever step into it because you do not learn the way of surrender, the way of stepping into what he has called you into. For 40 years, they stood on the threshold of the territory he had given them. But it took strength and courage to step into the promise and step into the purpose. So church, when we think of this reality of surrender, it's like we're, we're, just, we're holding on to the wrong things. We've clenched our fists around things and we need to, it's hard to take hold of what he has when our fists are already clenched. It's hard to take hold of the promised land when the wilderness has taken hold of you. And these clenched fists, we have to come before him this morning through a posture of surrender and acknowledge first and foremost what we've been holding on to. God, I have been holding on to my money for my security. I have been holding on to my status for my identity. And God, I want to let go of those things. And now with open hands, now I can surrender my life towards you. And God, now I can take hold of what you've given me to possess. Now I can take hold of the territory that you have called me into. So church, this morning, I don't know what threshold you find yourself on. But if you're feeling any sense of fear, it's actually a good sign that you're on the threshold of something. You're on the threshold of stepping into something. You see, fear will always show up when you're on the threshold of your purpose. If you call to write, fear will show up the moment you get the paper and pen out or your computer out. If you call to create, fear will show up the moment you pull the blank canvas out. If you call to lead, fear will show up the moment there's a people in front of you waiting to be led. But church, we will not submit to the voice of fear. We will surrender to the voice of God. Because in each of these sermons or through this series, we've said this, that if we will be a people who pursue a purpose bigger than ourselves, we have to be a people who listen to a voice bigger than ourselves. That when God said to Joshua 1 verse 8, study this book continually. In other words, listen to my voice. And church, this morning, we meet, may we be a people who listen to the voice of the one who calls us. That he's saying, child, I have something for you to possess. I have a territory for you to step into. I have a life for you to step into. And may you be filled with strength and courage to step into the fullness of what he is calling us into this morning. Let's stand together.